0: You start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namatasa. Aramata, Samma, Namatasa Namo Bhagavata Arahata Sama Sambudasa Namo Samma Sam Bodassa Namma Tassa Bada Bata So tonight I'm going to start to talk about, uh, talk about a series of talks about faith and refuge. In 10 days, on May 19, it's Vesak day. And for Buddhists, this is the most important day of the whole year. This full moon day in May is the day Uh, when the Buddha was born, when he became the Buddha, when he became fully enlightened and when he passed away. So on this day uh, Buddhists all around the world commemorate these uh, events. And so in connection with this Vesak day I think it's good and beneficial to know a bit more about the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, to know a bit more about faith, why we should have faith in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, what it means and what it entails, and also um, about the refugees. So the Buddha's teaching can be looked at from different angles or divided into different groups. And one way to talk about the Dhamma is, uh, is it is in regard to four aspects. So we can divide the whole teaching in four groups, four aspects. And so then we have the devotional aspect, is the first aspect. The second one is the ethical aspect. The third one is the moral aspect. And the fourth one is the practical aspect of the Buddha's teaching. So the devotional aspect, the first one, is the basic foundation of the Buddha's teaching. And upon this foundation comes the next aspect, the ethical aspect. And a level higher is the moral aspect and at the top is the practical aspect. So in regard to this first aspect, the devotional aspect, then the questioner arises, what is one devoted to or what is the object of devotion? What is the object of confidence or faith? So we'll have a look at faith or confidence. What does it actually mean to have faith? or to have confidence, and we'll have a look at the different kinds of faith, then what is the object of faith or confidence, and what are the benefits of having faith or having confidence in a certain object. And very closely related to faith or confidence is the going for refuge. So we also then will have a look at that. What are the objects of refuge? What are the reasons for going for refuge? And by doing so, what um, effects or beneficial results will spring from it? faith or confidence, that's a very basic quality. And we have faith or Sada as one of the five mental faculties, which I've spoken of earlier. Faith is also one of the five mental powers, which are actually the same as the five mental faculties, but they exercise a different function. And so faith as a mental faculty or a mental power that also constitutes one of the 37 requirements or requisites for enlightenment. and going for refuge is also quite a fundamental practice in Buddhism, so it's good that we uh, know a bit more about it. In regard to faith and going for refuge, there are many aspects to it, but in the West, I have noticed that not so much is really spoken about faith and going for refuge. In those years when I was attending retreats, faith or going for refuge was kind of mentioned in the beginning of the retreat in connection with yeah, chanting maybe the precepts and going for refuge. but it always was kind of kept very short and it almost seemed as Western teachers were a bit afraid to talk about faith or going for refuge. It seemed like they skipped uh, over it because it can be quite a delicate topic. And I think many of the Western teachers they also wanted to avoid the pitfall of presenting Buddhism as a religion of mere belief or rituals. So to go into this topic, let me tell you an event that happened to Achan Suchito. He is one of the senior monks in the western sangha of Achan and he is the abbot of Chithurst Monastery in England. And the following story is contained in a book called Root Awakenings. This is a book about the pilgrimage to India in the early 90s that Ajahn Suchito did with one layman. Uh, His name was Vesniska. So they did this whole pilgrimage to the Buddhist places on foot, walking (coughs) altogether 1,000 miles. And they mostly lived on arms foot. So this book Road Awakenings it's quite an interesting and entertaining book. It's like one is invited to join them on, the, on this pilgrimage and share in their thoughts, reflections and struggles. So this one event shows the protective fa- power of faith. Some places in India rural India, uh, can be quite dangerous. And several times, Ajahn, Suchito, and uh, these had been told uh, to be careful, to be careful because there are bandits out there and they warned them that they could be robbed. But in spite of these warnings, they thought oh well, not us, we are on a holy pilgrimage and so the bandits won't touch us. They did protective chants and they also had received many blessings from various great masters before they actually left for this pilgrimage. And as they had already gone through some areas where they had been warned uh, to be careful, nothing had happened to them. And so they got a bit uh, cocky thinking, well, we are, doing, we are doing pretty good out here. Before Achan Suchito and Vaith had left for India, uh, a Chinese Buddhist master had been visiting Amaravati Monastery in England. And at one time, this master gave an informal talk to a whole group of monks. Achan Suchito then at that time asked him a question. And this Chinese master, not knowing that Achan Suchito was about to leave for this pilgrimage, he answered this question by saying, When you go to practice in the place of the Buddha, you should not find fault with anyone for any reason. So then when Ajahn Suchito went to India, he took that as as a mantra and with that embedded it in his consciousness. So one day Achan Suchito and his companion were walking through the forested countryside between Nalanda and Rajbir, Rajagaha. And it was there that they met up with a group of surly looking men who had been cutting trees in the forest. They all had axes and uh, wooden clubs. It was a very lonely area and this group of men surrounded the two immediately. They wanted to take all their things. And so the layman, trying to be protective, he started fighting with this Indian man. He got knocked uh, around quite badly and so then when he realized it was getting too dangerous, he ran off and a couple of robbers ran after him. And so that left Achansuchito with four of these Indian men. And they made it it very obvious that they were going to kill him. Because Suchito spoke a little bit of Hindi, he was able to understand what they were saying and the head bandit was brandishing his axe over his head and so the situation was pretty unambiguous. In that situation all of a sudden this thought flushed into Ajahn Suchito's mind. When you go to practice in the place of the Buddha, do not find fault with anyone for any reason. And Ajahn Suchitta realized, if this is what is going to happen, I cannot escape. I'm not going to fight these people and if I did, I would lose anyway. So, I will just give myself to them. And so with that, he bowed his head, put his hands in Anjali, and started chanting. Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma sambodasa He stood there with his head bowed down, calmly waiting for the eggs to fall. But nothing happened. <laughs> So then he looked up and saw that the man holding the axe over his head could not bring it down. With this, Achan Suchito got a bit cheeky and so he went like this. Drawing a line on his head with his finger. But again, the bandit could not bring to harm him. At this point, the layman who had been hiding realized, hey, wait a minute, I'm supposed to protect uh, this monk. I'm not doing my job. And so with that, he came out of the undergrowth, ran back and tried to help. But with the other Indian man, he had another fight. And so again, the layman realizing he was in danger, he ran off again. (laughs) And so, as it turned out, the bandits took all of their things. Ajahn was left with his under and his sandals. Everything else, else went. But in all that, Ajahn did not get a scratch on him. The layman who fought back got thumped around quite a bit and was torn up by the thorns uh, and when he was tumbling down the screen. So later on, when Achan Suchito and Weiss sat down discussing what had happened, Ajahn Suchito realized, if I had died, I would have died with my mind focused on the triple gem. And the layman realized, if I had died, I would have died with the mind of a hunted animal. So, this can be read in this book called Root Awakenings. At the time of the Buddha, gold, silver and jewels were the most precious things that people could possess. And the wealth of rich people was measured by the amount of gold and jewel, silver and jewels they possessed. For farmers, uh, their wealth was how many cattle they would possess. So in those days there were no banks and the people's wealth therefore was not measured by much by how much money they had on their bank account So gold silver jewels were a good form of investment and having a fair amount of gold or silver meant having a fair amount of security. This um, need for a feeling of security is common to all uh, human beings. And in their ignorance, they place their need for security in external or material things. So that's why people consider money or gold a good investment. And by placing so much importance on the possession of these material things, then people become dependent on these things. Or put, to put it in other words, then people take refuge in these external material things deriving an illusionary feeling of security from them. Especially in our western societies um, there is so much stress on power or influence, money. So it's like worshipping, power, money, influence, and so on. And It's quite ironic, today at lunchtime I got a little chocolate thing, a caramel thing and on it it says this Caramel Mighty and beside it's written Worship Me. (laughs) (laughs) This is how far we have come. So placing security in material things or in power, influence, money and so on, um, and deriving a sense of security from that, even though people know that this kind of security is not really complete or perfect, but still they depend on it, they rely upon it, because it would be too upsetting to reflect about deeply and see that these things can never give us a real sense of security or protection. Another form of jewel or gem uh, is a thing called the triple gem the gems of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. So, in the Buddha's teaching, these three things, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha are referred to as the triple gem. And in Pali, triple gem is called tiratana ratana Ti means three, and Ratana means precious or desirable thing. Or in other words, uh, something that which gives delight, pleasure or that which pleases. Because these precious stones and jewels give us delight and pleasure, they are called Ratanas. But this pleasure uh, and delight derived from jewels is of a worldly and material nature (coughs) and therefore we should only take them as ornaments but not uh, as a refuge. Unlike jewels such as rubies, sapphire, diamonds and so on, the the triple gem uh, is a true refuge, which in turn can become a foundation for a true and real feeling of security. The triple gem of the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha is not an external material thing that leads to feeling of security, but this feeling of security arises with the cultivation and realization of the Buddha's teaching. There is no material thing and no person who can be a true refuge, giving us shelter or perfect protection. Nothing out there can be really relied upon. At the time of death, We have to part with everything that is dear to us, our family, our relatives, our friends, as well as our material possessions. We come alone into this world and empty-handed, we have to uh, depart from this world. Not even a single cent can uh, save us from death. A couple of years ago, uh, a friend of mine, an American nun, came to Burma. She wanted to come to our center to practice. And on the day she arrived, she called from Yangon, from a hotel, saying that she had arrived, but not her luggage. So she needed to spend the night in Yangon and then go to the airport the following day to see whether or not her luggage had come. And so she told me that I should uh, convey my greetings to Sayado U And so then uh, when I saw Sayado U I told him that uh, my friend uh, called from Yangon and that her luggage had not yet arrived. And Saito U car, very in a kind of down-to-earth manner, he said, never mind. When she was born, she didn't bring any luggage. And when she dies, she can't uh, take any luggage either. So, never mind. <laughs> so, any external things uh, or persons can never give us a real uh, feeling of security. And they also cannot be called uh, a true refuge. As the Buddha said, be your own refuge. Take the Dhamma as your refuge. Do not look for any external refuge. Practice the Dhamma, the truth, and you will attain the highest goal. So it's easily said to be your own refuge, but rather difficult to put it into practice. And it is especially true for those who have grown up in a Western society where material wealth and materialistic thinking are so much stressed without having an alternative. The Buddha's teaching offers us an alternative in giving us very clear guidance and instructions of how to cultivate and establish a true refuge within ourselves. All the discourses of the Buddha have been very practical instructions of how to to develop our heart and mind in order to find a truly secure place. Instead of giving so much time and effort into amassing worldly things, worldly treasures, it would be of much greater benefit to spend our time and energy for the accumulation of spiritual treasures. The Buddha, he spoke of seven spiritual treasures. And they are faith, morality, moral shame, moral dread, learning, generosity, and knowledge. So these things can be considered treasures, spiritual treasures. And these spiritual treasures are much more beneficial uh, in our search for happiness and peace. They are much more beneficial than any worldly treasure, such as money, jewelry, diamonds, books, or experience, uh, expensive clothes, and so on. So, talking about faith, one of the spiritual treasures, so then the question arises, what is the object of faith? or confidence. To put it simply, the object is the triple gem, which means the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. So this means then that the person has faith in the Buddha, faith in the Dhamma and uh, faith in the Sangha. The Dhamma as the teaching taught by the Buddha, and the Sangha as the disciples of the Buddha who follow and practice according to the teachings. On top of that, uh, a person has also faith in the law of cause and effect, because this is the basic principle of the Buddha's teaching. As we have seen in talking about karma as an aspect of the law of cause and effect, there is nothing in this universe which is causeless. Every result arises dependent on certain causes and conditions. Like we have seen, a seed uh, needs appropriate causes and conditions to grow like fertile ground, water and sunshine. And we have seen that this law of cause and effect also works on the moral plane, like karma and its effects the law of cause and effect as it affects our behaviour. So when it is said uh, one should have faith in the Buddha, then why should we have faith in the Buddha? Among all living beings, the Buddha is a very exceptional being, exceptional and noble being, because the Buddha's mind is completely free from any stains and negative qualities a Buddha has perfected the potential of the human mind and developed all the wholesome qualities to the highest and purest degree. His complete purification of the heart and mind has abandoned all the causes for suffering and with that a Buddha lives, lives in perfect peace and happiness. And out of their great compassion, all the Buddhas have also shown the way leading to the end of suffering to other beings, so that they too can attain this highest goal. The understanding or wisdom that Buddha has developed is the understanding of things as they truly are. So this wisdom or understanding these things, phenomena, in their true nature. Seeing them undistorted by concepts, opinions, or views. And so this understanding of things as they really are or seeing them in the true nature, means nothing other than understanding the natural laws. All things, all phenomena, happen according to these natural laws. At the time of the Buddha, all phenomena or the laws according to which things happen They were called Dhamma. And because the teaching of the Buddha was about understanding the way things happen, understanding these natural laws, then his teaching was called Dhamma. So if we have faith or confidence in the Buddha, we should also have confidence in his teaching, the Dhamma or we should have faith, confidence, in that which is true and real. Nuns and monks and lay practitioners follow and practice the Dhamma, and thereby they can also come to understand phenomena as they truly are. And this understanding of things as they truly are, this wisdom brings about the eradication of the defilements and this leads to an end of suffering. So since the time of the Buddha, until this present day, there has been a great number of beings who have followed in the steps of the Buddha and who have been able to abandon their ignorance, and with that they are able or have been able to become free of suffering. And so with their uh, realization of the Dhamma, they are shining light in the world which is threaded in darkness, the darkness of ignorance. So these beings who have realized the Dhamma, who have got ridden of their ignorance, they are definitely worth of our confidence because with their example they show that the Buddha's teaching is timeless and the fruit of this teaching is still available nowadays. At one time, the Buddha mentioned the four best kinds of confidence. He was talking to a group of monks, and so he said, monks, there are these four best kinds of confidence. What for? To whatever extent there are living beings, the perfectly enlightened one is declared the best among them. Those who have confidence in the Buddha have confidence in the best. And for those who have confidence in the best, the result is best. Then the next one. To whatever extent there are things that are conditioned, the noble eightfold path is declared the best among them. Those who have confidence in the Noble Eightfold Path have confidence in the best, and for those who have confidence in the best, the result is best. Then the next thing. To whatever extent there are things, whether conditioned or unconditioned, this passion is declared the best among them, that is, the crushing of pride. The removal of thirst, the uprooting of attachment, the termination of the round, the destruction of craving, dispassion, cessation, Nibbana. Those who have confidence in the Dhamma have confidence in the best. And for those who have confidence in the best, the result is best. And the last To whatever extent there are communities or groups, the Tathagata Sangha of disciples is declared the best among them. Those who have confidence in the Sangha have confidence in the best, and for those who have confidence in the best, the result is best. Some people do not have such a detailed understanding of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. But nevertheless, they have faith in the Triple Gem. Faith in the Triple Gem is a very basic understanding. Something like, the Buddha is worthy of veneration, The Dhamma is worthy of veneration, the Sangha is worthy of veneration. To have veneration for the Triple Gem is a wholesome action, kusala, and as such, it will bring about happiness and well-being. So there is quite a number of people, that is uh, traditional Buddhists, who have faith in the Triple Gem with this basic knowledge or understanding. And out of this faith they do many wholesome things, such as paying homage to the Buddha, offering water, candle, incense, lights or food to the Buddha, offering food, robes, medicine and buildings to the Sangha, or keeping the five precepts or keeping the eight precepts on Uposatha days, like these are the observance days, full moon day, new moon day, and the eighth day after the full moon or the new moon. Or they listen to Dhamma talks or engage in practicing meditation, So they perform these kinds of wholesome actions, kusala actions, with this simple faith in the Triple Gem, without having a further or more thorough understanding what this Triple Gem is all about. And this kind of faith is called serene faith. this is one of the four kinds of faith. So the very basic one, just having faith in the triple gem, knowing the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha and that it is good to have faith in it and based on that faith uh, performing good, beneficial, wholesome actions, this is serene faith. Then, the second kind of faith is uh, a firm faith that comes through understanding the Dhamma or the Triple gem. So that requires some uh, knowledge about the Triple gem. Then the third kind of faith is what is called unshakable faith through experiential knowledge of the Dhamma. And it is said that faith becomes really unshakable at the stage of stream entry when a person realizes the first stage of enlightenment. And the fourth kind of faith, this is only concerned with uh, Buddhas or Bodhisattvas because this is the kind of faith that comes with the declaration or prophecy of Buddhahood. Like when a person becomes the prophecy from a previous Buddha that one will become the future Buddha. So later on, I will elaborate more fully on these four kinds of faith. So people who have this serene faith and based on that perform wholesome beneficial actions, um, they can enjoy uh, benefits from this kind of faith. Depending on the strength of their volition, uh, when they carry out a wholesome act, then the outcome of these benefits will manifest accordingly. So, even if one doesn't have a very deep or thorough understanding of the Triple Gem, the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, one's serene faith still can produce beneficial uh, results and with that it can lead to happiness. And this is so because the object of faith, the triple gem, is a true and genuine object of faith. For instance, a person doesn't know whether or not the soil is fertile. So, if a person plants a seed into Uh, soil that is fertile, then this seed will grow into a strong plant. And this is so because the soil is fertile. And likewise, even if a person doesn't fully understand the attributes of the triple gem but still has faith in it, this person still can uh, benefit from it and experience uh, beneficial results. So these benefits or the beneficial results uh, that can be gained, this is due to the clarity of the mind. When one has faith in something that is worthy of faith this makes the mind clear. In the scriptures, to compare faith or to describe faith, the following comparison is used. Faith is like the water purifying gem that can clarify the water. So if one puts this water purifying gem into dirty and murky water, then on account of that water purifying gem, the water will become clear and transparent. And likewise, if a person pays homage to the triple gem in good faith at a time when the mind is obscured by the defilements, such as greed or anger, conceit, then the mind will become clear and pure within a short time and so then the person can feel happy and peaceful. So, wholesome actions uh, carried out, performed based on this uh, serene faith, actions like practicing generosity or keeping the precepts offering things to a Buddha statue, listening to Dharma talks or practicing meditation, they uh, give beneficial results. And uh, on that, that leads to the happiness and well-being of a person. So pure faith, strong confidence, has the ability to make the mind clear So in the Buddha's teaching, when the Buddha speaks about faith, then it refers to that kind of faith which can clarify the mind. And so the Buddha said, only that thing which has the ability to clarify the mind is worthy to be an object of faith. If that thing, the object of faith, does not make the mind clear, but rather obscures the mind, then it's not worthy of faith. So in the same way as there are things that can uh, clarify, purify the mind, there are things that can obscure uh, the mind. And These things that can obscure uh, the mind are the kilesas or the defilements. As the word implies, they defile the mind. So the mind can be obscured or defiled by mental states such as greed, hatred, lust, aversion. Jealousy, restlessness, hatred, attachment, and so on. As we all know from our own experience, when the mind is overcome or obscured by anger or jealousy, frustration, craving, attachment, and so on, then we don't feel happy we don't feel at ease. Only when the mind is clear from these defilements only with a clear uh, mind will happiness uh, or peace arise. So if we want to be happy and at ease we should cultivate a clear mind and not one that is cloudy or obscured. And so in order to cultivate a clear mind we should have faith or confidence in something that helps our mind become clear. Some years ago a foreign A man came to our meditation center in Burma and he told me how he came uh, to practice the Buddha's teaching. He said that some years ago he was traveling around in Indonesia and as we all know Indonesia is a mostly Muslim country. But one day he heard the sound of a bell in the distance. And he said it was very strange, but somehow he was very attracted by the sound of the bell and he simply felt this urge to go and see um, where this bell was. And so he followed the sound and then eventually came to a Buddhist monastery. There... He met a monk and he started to talk to this monk. And this monk talked about the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. And by listening to this monk talking, uh, he said very quickly he started to feel his mind become very calm and also very clear. He said at that time he did not understand what was happening to him. He had never experienced something similar before. But at that time the experience, it was so obvious and it was so strong. And so he said this is how he started to practice Buddhist meditation and eventually became a Buddhist. It is said that the characteristic of faith or satta in Pali is that of placing uh, faith or trusting. So when there is faith, a characteristic is then the trusting and. So to uh, make our minds clearer or help them uh, clear away the obscurations, so we need to place trust or confidence in something or somebody that has naturally a clarifying uh, effect. In the initial stage of our practice, uh, faith is not yet so strong and still there are many doubts uh, arising. Doubts about the triple gem as an object of placing trust or confidence or doubts about the basic tenets of the teachings doubts about the meditation method, or doubts about the qualification of the teacher, and so on. Although many people have these kinds of doubts uh, in the early stages of the practice, they still engage uh, in practice. And it's through sort of the personal experiences that these doubts are uh, cleared away that they fall away. And even these kinds of doubts can actually be fertilizer for the practice and help one's confidence to become really strong or firm. And as we know, the Buddha never wanted us to blindly believe his teaching or to have blind faith in his teaching. He always encouraged people to investigate and see for themselves. Even Mahasi Sayadaw had his doubts when he first encountered uh, this kind of meditation. and. In his own words, Mahasi Sayadaw said, I myself was a skeptic at one time. I did not then like the Satipatthana method as it makes no mention of Nama Rupa, Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta and so on. But the Sayadaw who taught the method was a learned monk and so I decided to give it a try. At first, I made little progress because I still had a lingering doubt about the method which, in my view, had nothing to do with ultimate reality. It was later on, when I had followed the method seriously, that its significance dawned on me. I realized then that it is the best method of meditation since it calls for attentiveness to everything that is to be known, leaving no room for absent-mindedness. So to clarify the mind, this is the function of faith or confidence. When true and genuine faith develops in the mind and becomes distinct, then the mind becomes very clear. As I said, in the scriptures, faith is compared to a gem. If this water purifying gem is put into murky and dirty water, then the water immediately becomes clear. And so in the same way, when the defilements, such as greed, hatred, pride, uh, enter the mind, then the mind becomes defiled and unhappy. And at such a time, when one arouses faith by reflecting on the attributes of the triple gem, then the defilements will disappear and the mind then immediately becomes clear again. For some people, when they steadily and calmly reflect on the attributes of the Buddha, for example, very strong faith can arise. At that moment, then the mind as well as the body can feel very clear, joyous, elated and full of rapture. Sometimes when people find themselves in a restless, distressed or troubled state of mind, they pay homage to the Buddha and reflect on his attributes. And then for these people, the restlessness or the defilements in the mind uh, subside very quickly and the mind becomes clear within quite a short time. So when there is true and genuine faith, then it becomes manifested in the mind as non-fogginess or it becomes manifested as resolution. When faith or confidence is strong, then the mind is not wavering and doubts are absent. And with this absence of doubts or uh, indecisiveness, then the mind is no longer foggy. The mind is no longer wavering. Instead, the mind is very radiant and clear. And this manifestation of non-fogginess, it's like on a typical autumn day in Switzerland. Around that time of the year, in fall, it is very common to find a layer of fog in the lower regions, like around Zurich or Bern. But above the fog, the sky is clear and it's sunny. On some days, it can happen that the fog um, is gradually dissolving and finally uh, disappearing completely. And so then even in these lower regions, uh, it becomes a sunny and clear day. In the scriptures, it is said that the proximate cause for true and genuine faith are the triple gem and the understanding of the law of karma and its uh, effects. So this means when one comes to know about the triple gem and karma with its effects, then confidence or faith can uh, arise in the Buddha's teaching, or it can uh, arouse faith and confidence in those who manifest a kind and uh, compassionate life, so in monks and nuns or lay practitioners. Or uh, faith uh, then arouses arises through the understanding of the law of cause and effect or karma and its effects. So to end this talk I will mention the three traditional similes that are used for faith. It is that faith should be regarded as a hand should be regarded as a hand because, as it is a hand, it can take hold of profitable things. On the base of faith, one engages in wholesome actions, has uh, wholesome, worthy objects of faith. And so this uh, becomes something profitable, becomes something beneficial. The second simile is, faith should be regarded as wealth, as we have seen, uh, spiritual wealth. As such, it cannot be destroyed. Material wealth can be ruined, can be destroyed. But a spiritual wealth can never be destroyed by a fire. It cannot be swept away by a flood, thieves, cannot steal it, the authorities, government or kings cannot confiscate it, and disloyal children can also not, not get hold of it. And lastly, the third simile for faith is, faith should be regarded as a seed, because from this seed, The highest fruits, the fruits of enlightenment, can come forth. So may your faith become strong and unshakable and result in the highest goal, liberation or nirvana. Thank you for listening.